Hi, friends, and welcome back to the show. Today, we are talking about how can we build big, happy lives? How can we do the work to overcome our past traumas, our old patterns of thinking, so that we can free ourselves to achieve our dreams? My guest gets really honest about her story. She talks about having everything, but still feeling overwhelmed, stressed, and depressed. How she stepped through all of that to find joy and contentment in her life. It is a great story, and I think there's some really good tips for you that you can apply to your own life. And here's what I want to ask you. What is holding you back? What is the thing that's holding you back from going after your dreams and from finding meaningful work you love? Aren't you ready to wake up to the possibilities that are in your life and go after the things you've dreamt of? It's time for you to feel alive again, lit up, and for you to know that you're deserving and you are worthy for the future that's waiting for you. I want you to feel fulfilled and find abundance in your life. I think it's time, and I'm ready to help you get started. And I'm your host, Kristen, of Building a Life You Love. And each week on the show, we're going to help you figure out how you do go after your dreams and find work you love. Here we go. Let's get started. Hi, today on the podcast, I would like to welcome Natalie Britt. She's the founder of Big Happy Life Coaching and Training. She is a trainer and coach and the podcast host of the big happy life. And I am so excited to have her on today because we are going to talk about how do we do the work to free ourselves to be able to step into and achieve our dreams so that we can really realize them and we can really live a life that we feel good in. And so I'm so excited she's going to share her journey, what she's walked through and how she figured out that she could step into a life that felt good and aligned with who she's is and who she's becoming. So welcome, Natalie. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kristen. I'm delighted to be here. Absolutely. And so Natalie, can you first tell us a little bit about your journey, you know, from what you did before and then your journey in um, p- uh, parenthood? And then what did you go through? And then what are you up to now? Sure. So I worked as a corporate trainer. That's been my profession for over two decades. And my role was really to help people understand their habits and how they created normal. So a, a team of people and what's normal for them. Some of it worked, some of it didn't, what was going on. And that was my business. And I was happily married. I was earning very well. And I was a bit like, we went to Barbados, my husband and I, and we were like, this is nice, but like, is this what life is? You know, we're just going to work our butts off and then we're going to go on nice holidays and then we're going to come back and work our butts off and we're going to repeat. Yeah. And so we were like, no, this doesn't feel right. There's a piece missing. And so we decided to have a family and uh, we adopted our two children. And then it was like, that was my, you know, big life. I thought my big happy life, but yeah. I went in specifically to adopt. Um, I chose not to have children by birth because I felt that everything that I brought to the table in terms of, you know, I I was talking and teaching about empathy and listening and really truly getting to the heart of who people are and what drives them. And I thought, you know, all of those skills would make me a much better adoptive parent. Like I felt like I could offer something. Mm -hmm. And we started the adoption process. It took about three years and then our children arrived and it was, you know, the the completion of everything until I realized that I just wasn't the mom I thought I was going to be. And it was, oh my God, it was gut-wrenching. It was horrific. Um, My whole, I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, but I sort of crumbled 
um, Mm -hmm. in the face of who I thought I was going to be and who I turned out to be and, and the disappointment and the devastation that I felt because my son, when he first came, um, because both of my children have had um, early life trauma. Um, and so my daughter was seven. My son was 17 months and he was pre-verbal. He didn't want to come near me. So he was, you know, traumatized and crying a lot of the time, but he wouldn't let me touch him really. Um, and so that was, you know, really devastating. Yeah. But I basically kind of built it in my mind as like, you know, that thing about kids, no good people, right? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, but he hates me. So right. what does he know that I don't know? You know, maybe I wasn't meant I wasn't meant to have kids. So anyway, it became this whole thing and yeah. I got extremely depressed and um just kind of wasn't showing up in my life the way I wanted to. And that sort of made me kind of crumble a bit because everything that I had been teaching people about, you know, rising above challenges getting stronger, learning, growing, you know, all the self-development stuff that I was teaching to leaders, helping them with their teams. um, I just didn't seem to be doing any of it. And so I started to think, you know, is my, like my whole business is fake. I'm a fake, like nothing is real. I'm awful, you know, bash, bash, bash. Anyway, at some point I basically went like, if I carry on down this road, I'm going to take my kids down with me because mm-hmm. like I have two choices here. Either yeah. I can stay in this state or I can rise and become the mom I thought I was going to be. It just turns out that it's much, much harder than I thought it was going to be. And yeah. I wasn't as well prepared as I thought I was. And now it's time to figure that out. And so that's what started me on this journey of like, when you are so crushingly defeated mm-hmm. that you no longer believe anything good about yourself, how do you get back up? Mm, yeah. And then from that point, how do you thrive? And how do you bring into the world all the joy and all the light that you feel is inside you and that you feel you can give, but that you don't seem to be able to access? Like, how do you get access to it? And then how do you turn it outwards into the world? And and that's now what I do as my work. Mm, with goodness, so good. And yeah, I can't wait to kind of uh, uncover and talk a little bit more, you know, as we keep talking about what that looked like, right? That journey of um, kind of discovering what worked, right? What worked for you to to get to that point point of, um, like you said, thriving and flourishing, you know? And so, yeah, that's I love that you shared that because, you know, whether someone's a mom or not, you know, I'm a mom as well. And, you know, it's, it is, it can be very hard. And of course, if you have kids that um, had any sort of uh, trauma or have any sort of special needs or right. There's so many things that make it even harder, you know, and to figure out, to navigate. And so I appreciate that you share that because I think the way we all heal too, is by sharing our stories, by sharing the truth of difficult things, right? Like people start realizing, oh, I'm not alone. Oh, I'm, you know, I remember so many times talking to my girlfriends and you tell some honest truth about parenting or about being a wife or, and you're all like, oh, oh, I thought I was the only one, right? And <laughs> yeah. like feeling embarrassed or shameful about something. And it, it might not be something huge, but the point is you feel mom guilt or you feel like you have no time for your spouse or so, you know, and you were grappling with big things and, and feeling all this pressure and, you know, guilt. And so I think it's, it's so good to have these conversations, right? Because I think it, it helps people to realize that none of us are alone and we all are, are going to struggle with things and that we can get through it. We can find tools and therapies and 
systems or things that help us, right? And so, and that's one of the things you do, right? Is you use modalities to help people kind of unlock what is stuck, I guess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so tell me about that. So you obviously, like you said, you were already in sort of um, helping people, you know, a trainer, helping them with development, helping them work better as teams. But at what point did you shift into doing the, the work you're doing now? I'm assuming that was only in the last couple of years. Yeah. So that's in the last probably four years or so, four or five yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so t- I guess, why don't you just share a little bit with us about what what did you early on discover when you found yourself at that, you just like you were crumbling and you were kind of at your wits end and you didn't really know what to do at that point. What did you start finding that was, was those early things that helped you? Interestingly, the earliest things that, that helped me, I think, were actually lifestyle changes, were changes to my coping strategies. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know that it was going to have the impact it has, but one of the things I did was I gave up alcohol for 100 days. Mm-hmm. Um, I Because one of the things that I was doing was I was actually quite, I was in the evenings when my children went to bed, I was numbing out. Right. how devastated mm-hmm. I was feeling. And it was like, you know, okay, this is mommy's time now. Everyone made it through the day. It's right. all okay. We've done our best. Tomorrow we can try again. All right, I'm going to sit down, put Netflix on, get a bag of Maltesers and, right. you know, drink the wine. Yeah. Um, but what I didn't know at the time, and I now do know, is that that amount of alcohol to drink on a nightly basis, even though I wasn't drinking massive amounts, you know, you're talking – some nights one glass, some nights two, some nights, you know, on the weekends I probably would get through a bottle, which was quite a lot, but it wasn't, you know, masses. Yeah. But it puts the body in such stress that the the chemical balance is off. And so your energy levels are low. You don't sleep particularly well. You wake up feeling tired. And also when I was engaging through my day with my children, when they did things that upset me or that I felt stressed by, my first thought was, oh, thank God, it's only this many hours until I can open a bottle of wine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I wasn't really present with them or looking at what is, why is that stressful? What's going mm-hmm. on? Right. So when I took alcohol out, that was really one of my primary numbing strategies. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it was a numbing strategy. I thought it was just relaxation. Right. Um, but all these emotions started to rise. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I, was, I wrote a blog, a daily blog for that 100-day period. Um, and I think if I hadn't been doing that, I wouldn't have made it through the 100 days. Uh-huh. Um, but because each time I faced those discomforts of like, oh, I really need a glass of wine. I can't right. make this, you know, then I would think, okay, well, I need to write about this. Yeah, and write about what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking, and the the process of writing mm. gave yeah. me some insights that I hadn't previously had. So that was enormously helpful. Um, since then, I mean, I've gone really deep down the rabbit hole of, you know, pretty much in terms of mental health, almost all roads have led me to the gut. So uh-huh. I've made uh-huh. a lot of changes to the way I eat. Mm-hmm. Um, I, t- I still, every now and again, I do sometimes drink, but I take long periods off. So at the moment, I'm off alcohol for the whole of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the year, I'll decide whether to carry on or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the basic just is I like to experiment with it also because it helps me see what happens to my mental state and my habits right. 
bring it back in or take it back out. And that mm-hmm. also helps me understand and have empathy with my clients. Yeah. Because I find the further we go down the road of development and the further we leave, you know, so-called bad habits in the rearview mirror, the easier it is to sort of get a bit, I don't know, complacent about how easy it is to stop or start certain things. Um, so, yeah, so I do kind of play around a little bit sometimes, but um, yeah, the probability is I think this time it might be for good because it's just yeah. too much trouble. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. But you're right. I mean, so often it is a habit. And I know that's one of the main things you focus on, right? With the healing is our habits and our choices. And so of course, um, health and wellness have a lot to do with, right? Movement. I mean, not saying that's the main, the top one, but right. But it's like you said, gut health, it's what we're doing. What are our daily practices, if you will? And what are we putting in, right? To, to feel better. Um, yeah. So that's really interesting. What, um, what other things I know that you, you know, do a lot of different, or you practice a lot of different, um, you know, modalities and things, but did you find when you were first discovering all this besides removing alcohol, did you, was it journaling? Was it trying to get honest with, you know, gosh, I have all these feelings, but are they actually true? You know, so what were you, what was Mm -hmm. going on as far as that goes? So I think, um, I think it was the blog. Because like I say, when you, and anyone listening, if there's something you kind of rely on to feel better, Mm -hmm. as soon as you take it out, whatever it's masking will surface. That's what that discomfort is. The cravings, the uncomfortable feelings, the thoughts about, I can't do this. I can't do this. Underneath those is the information you're looking for. You know, what is happening? What am I not comfortable with? What can't I face? What haven't I faced before? Mm-hmm. And, you know, things like, I'm just bored. I'm frustrated. I don't particularly like my husband or whatever, like whatever it is for people. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm a good parent. I'm, I hate my job. I don't like, you know, those are all yeah. the things that lie underneath. And then it becomes a case of, okay, let them surface mm-hmm. and let's figure out what to do with them. Yeah, And so for me, the blog helped me surface those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have found with myself and my clients is that a lot of times the things that surface have a lot of roots in rules we learned about what makes us good and bad mm-hmm. from childhood. Yeah. And so the discomfort of like any kind of shame or disappointment we feel in ourselves, or things we are pursuing, but we don't really want to pursue them. We pursue them because we think we have to, because someone else judges our worth by those things. Right. All of that. Um, So the minute you take away whatever your coping strategies are, all of that discomfort rises. Mm -hmm. And so my work really is about helping guide people through that. Um, First of all, to find the roots sometimes to release them from that. So very often I work with people who've got feelings of just, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy unless I achieve that. I'm not Mm -hmm. worthy because of this. Um, You know, all of those kinds of beliefs that are so painful that it's easier to numb them out with other Mm -hmm. things and Mm -hmm. to fill our lives with achievements and stuff. And I think that's the other key thing is, you know, you can do all the mental health practices but you can do them from a place of self-judgment very easily and actually keep yourself stressed. 
So the key really is number one key is accessing a sense of self-worth, self-acceptance and self-love and working from that vantage point and deciding from that vantage point what you want and how to pursue it. I think that, you know, that's a lot of what you do with joyful alignment. That's what Uh it's about. Yeah. You know, if I'm losing weight because I hate myself, that's different than losing weight because the joy of running around with my kids is what I'm seeking. Yes. Um, Two different things entirely. Absolutely. Yes. The why always matters, doesn't it? Very much. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, when you're saying that, so so you doing the blog, right, is what a lot of people recommend, which is to journal regularly, because often when we journal consistently, you start seeing patterns come up. Like, what? why was I irritated the last six days in a row? What's going on here? Like, I didn't even realize maybe I snapped at my husband or yelled at my kids, right? Like sometimes we don't realize what we're doing until we reflect later on it. And obviously visually, I mean, written reflection is nice because we can then see it, right? And you're not just thinking it and then it's poof, it's gone. So um, have you found that's the case for a lot of your clients that writing it down or documenting in some way is helpful? Very much so. I mean, to get clear on maybe what's going on. Yes, very much so. And actually, one of the practices that I use fairly regularly is something called therapeutic letters, mm-hmm. um, because writing has a, a really lovely link with the unconscious mind. Um, mm-hmm. And it can, I mean, you may have experienced this in your own journaling practice is when you just free write, often you find yourself writing and then you look at it and you're like, oh, I, I didn't know I thought that, <laughs> you know, right. it's like a surprise to you, even though it came out your own hand, it's right. a surprise. Yeah. Um, so yeah, writing definitely does that. And it is, is, well known for being able to help you access things that are hard to bring to the surface. Um, but so therapeutic letters are sometimes, you know, I might get somebody to write a letter to childhood version of them or a future version of them or um, somebody who they've had a, a very difficult relationship with and we're looking mm-hmm. to heal the relationship because they've they've gotten stuck in the emotions that go with the relationship. Yeah. Um, and they can't let go of those. And so those things affect them. Um, and writing, so writing can not only give you access to information within you that you didn't fully understand, mm-hmm. but it can also release you from kind of historical or stuck feelings. Uh-huh. Um, or at least give you a vantage point that makes them easier to manage when they do surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. And I have, I, you know, I know about those types of letters, but I didn't, I never realized they were called therapeutic letters. That makes sense. But uh, so let me ask you this. I know one of the things that you help your clients with is um, energy. And I like that you say it's a prime measure of wellness, which makes so much sense, right? When you don't, when you're tired, you feel worn out, you don't have the energy to go on the walk or to help your kids or whatever it is, right? It's, that is not a fun feeling. And so can you tell us anything about about that is that about the diet and the exercise or is there other things that you're finding helps people with their energy levels so yeah that's two things okay. um, so, well I, I look at energy actually it's three um but two of them are linked together so i see energy as having three parts the amount you have mm-hmm. the source it comes from mm-hmm. and how it makes you feel Got and it. Okay. so the amount has a lot to do with diet and exercise like you just it's it's a weird little loop because energy creates more energy. So if you are too tired to exercise, one of the best things you can do is exercise. 
but you don't feel like it because you're too tired. Uh Um, So one of the key things that I would offer as a piece of advice, if that is somebody listening, is like, I know I have to exercise, but I'm too tired to do it. Start with the smallest thing, like so laughably small that it's ridiculous. You know, one push up or one sit up or go out, go put your trainers on to go outside Mm -hmm. and then take them back off again and call that down. Um, But do it every day without fail. Yeah. And then let it expand in its own time because habits need time to embed before they expand. Mm -hmm. The big mistake most of us make is we're like, we go from zero to a hundred in day one and the brain doesn't like things that feel like punishment and hard exercise that leaves you tired or hurt afterwards, stiff, sore muscles, or takes up so much time that now you give up something else in your life and then you're like, this doesn't fit, it's too much effort. Um, All of those things are unrewarding to the brain and they don't embed as habits. So start smaller, let it build. But anyway, so amount is all related to what's happening in your body and how well it can produce energy. And there's so much detail about that, but I won't go into it. Right. Um, Then there's the source of the energy. And we've sort of talked about that already. Um, How are you powering your efforts? Mm -hmm. Yes, with the energy in your body, but also the energy of your mind and your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so when you power your efforts from a place of self-judgment, criticism, trying to please other people, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The source of the energy is unhelpful and it doesn't feel nice. Right. So you create in yourself this conflict. Mm-hmm. And so part of your energy gets used for achieving the goal, but another part of your energy gets used to fight yourself. Mm, yeah. And when you think about that divide, if you've got, you know, if I, I, I don't know why I'm thinking marbles. A friend of mine runs a company called Energy Marbles. So that's probably where it's coming from. <laughs> Um, but if you had a hundred marbles and you could use all of them on achieving your goal, that would be great. But if you could only, you've got a hundred, but you're going to use 50 of them to try and take yourself off course and the other 50 mm-hmm. to try and keep you on course, you're going yeah. to go nowhere, right? Yeah. So the source of energy is when it's aligned, you get to use all the marbles to go in the same direction. And yeah. when you split yourself, you only get some of it and mm-hmm. the other half of your energy is being used to fight you. Um, and then of course the, the key and the clue is how you feel because you know, like deep down, you know, there's a part of you that's loving it or there's not. Yeah. Um, And you're either fully immersed in the loving it or you're not. Yeah. And then it becomes a case of going, okay, well, what's, what's actually going on here? And the other thing about source, the source of energy is when it comes from a place of judgment or criticism. There's a little bit of a a kink built into it. That's probably the wrong word. I mean, like bend, not yeah. Kink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so when you it, it, let's let's take the weight loss example again, just because it's an easy one. If you if you start losing weight because you hate how you look, then at some point, some you're going to start making progress. You're going to look in the mirror, and you're not going to hate yourself anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it's hard to motivate yourself because you don't hate yourself anymore. So the source mm-hmm. of your energy doesn't sustain you all the way to the finish line, mm-hmm. which again introduces conflict because now you're like, well, oh, I look okay. I don't really feel like going anymore. Right. Um, so when you come from a place of you are already 
full of self-acceptance and full of self-love. You just happen to decide that actually, I just want to feel better in my clothes and I want to be able to run after my kids and, you know, it'll just be fun. So I'm going to lose some weight, whatever. Um, Then that can sustain you all the way to the finish line Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. much greater ease. And it feels good while you do it. Right. Um, Yeah. So. Oh, no, that's, I love how you explained um, each of those what I don't even know what you call them, but you know, the three different things connected to energy. And I think that makes, that makes so much sense because, you know, for instance, I have friends that, and even one of my, my sons in high school is getting up at four 30 to go at workout. He's all about it. I'm like, good for you. I'm that person that does not want to get up at four 30 to go exercise, but I am happily would go out at lunchtime or at four or five o'clock to go on a walk. And, but it's not, I mean, yes, the movement, you know, I enjoy it, but I also am like, I'm connecting with nature and I'm getting sunshine, right? I, for me, I'd rather do it. I don't want to do it in the dark of night and go into a gym and right. I want to be outside. So I know what I like and I know that that motivates me, right? Because for me, there's a big, there's more reason, right? It's not just, oh, I have to, you know, get in steps or, but some people might love 4.30 in the morning, but for me, that's not sustainable because I really don't want to be up at 4.30 in the morning, right? To me, that sounds just miserable. I'm not saying there's never a world that that could happen, but it's not my nature, right? It, to be up, I, I we probably go to bed a little bit slightly later, so we're not up at that hour, you know? And so, but I know to, what you were just explaining, which is I know when it feels good, like I'm like, yes, of course, why do I not want to do that? I would want to do this, right? I would want to keep doing this because- it's coming from a place that's very positive and um, I'm reinforcing, right? Like why this feels so good, why I want to be doing this. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing, you know, with those kinds of habits, people often ask me, you know, what's the best exercise or what should I do? And I'm like, the thing you can stick to, like, that's yeah. it. Right. Um, doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. And if people do have, you know, sometimes people want to start a habit of getting up earlier. Yes because they feel drawn to do that you know uh-huh. I've got a book I want to write or I've got a thing I want to do Absolutely. and the way I can put it in is to do that you know to change that then again the best thing to do is to set it up in such a way that you can commit to it daily because right. you will get used to it yeah and it is possible to do but in some ways when you change a habit it doesn't feel good right so then it's just, there's a slight tweak to what I was saying about the kind of energy and the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. And the difference is you can do hard things and you can find them to feel really, really tough. You know, yeah. your alarm can go off at 4.30 in the morning and you can think, oh, I don't want to do it. Right. But if that then connects you with the feeling of, yes, right, I am I so powerful mm-hmm. and I'm doing this and I'm, like, I hate every second of it, but I'm totally in because yeah. I'm going, baby, I'm going to do it. Then it still feels good. It's almost like the Navy calls it embrace the suck. Yeah. Um, and something about that, if it powers you up and it, mm-hmm. it connects you with what you're aiming for and it yes. feels good to you, right. you can get through the hard stuff. Absolutely. Um, so that's, I guess, the other side of it's not always going to feel easy and it's not always going to feel lovely. Yeah. But it it can it can still feel good from a place of empowerment and right. kind of striving. Yeah, and I think it, it that ties back to the whole as long as the purpose or the why is bigger and something that's going to sustain you, right? Like you said, that goal 
If you absolutely, if you want to finish a book or you need to do work before your other job or your kids get up, then to your point, that can be highly motivating because you have the end goal or the, at least the daily goal. Maybe it's writing, right? You know, some people do morning pages, right? Or they, so, right. I think it's that you just have to say, this is the time. This is maybe my only option of time, right? For some people that's true. And so it makes sense because you just have to know why you're going to get up and do that and why you're going to go through that stage of like, I don't want to get out of bed. So absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Oh, but again, so good. you can make it small. You can, right. you know, if, if the goal is to write the book, you can start by setting your minimum commitment. And that's, uh, that's all you ever have to achieve. So if you were to say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to write for five minutes every day. Yeah. Then if on some of the mornings you do write for more, that's a different story, but that's never the commitment. Right. And the, once you've done your five minutes, yeah. You've achieved your goal for that day. Um, and, you know, even now, like I've been exercising every single day for oof, years, yeah. literally years. But my commitment is sometimes as low as five minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I wake up and I feel just awful, I will do the five Tibetan rites. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just a kind of energetic movement practice. It takes about eight minutes to do. Um, that's the end of it. I may not do any other movement for the rest mm-hmm. of the day, but as far as I'm concerned, I showed up and I moved my body and yeah. that's my commitment to myself. And that yeah. way I continue to keep it in place. Some days I'm at the gym at four o'clock yeah. in the morning and I work yeah. out for an hour and other days, it's, you know, just a few minutes, but it, right. it's just never miss. And that's really the key. What's your baseline commitment? Mm-hmm. You can build up and down from there over years. When you have bad days, you just go back to your baseline commitment. Yeah. And what about, uh, no, that's that's so good. And it's it's so true. And like you said, set, set a goal that when it's new that you can commit to, right? And so that's why it makes so much more sense that it's, it's a smaller goal, right? It's not, I'm going to go run three miles a day every day, right? Well, if you're not running any right now and it's not a habit, it it might be hard to make that happen consistently. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense, making it a very small goal that you, you know, you know what, I can commit to this really tiny change, you know, so that's good. So what about, um, So what can you tell us about, you know, cultivating self-acceptance and self-love? Because I know that's obviously a big challenge for all of us, whether it's unworthiness or the people pleasing or the stories that we, you know, believe about ourselves, you know, whether from childhood or beyond. But Mm -hmm. so how might we work on that if that's an area we're maybe challenged in or struggling with? So if you're going to do this work on your own, I would say it's, this would be useful to have a journal for, um, or for people who don't like to write, record yourself, voice notes, make videos, whatever, just some way to express either verbally or in writing what you're thinking about and what you're feeling um, and, and your history as well. So our, I kind of believe in a relationship-based model of how we come to want the things we want, believe the things we believe, become the people we we are um, or believe ourselves to be. And so those like if you think about who you are and what you believe about yourself, all that stuff came to be in the context of your life. Mm-hmm. You learned what was good. You learned what was bad. 
you learned what got you praise and what got you punishment. You learned a whole load of stuff and your personality developed in that whole soup mm-hmm. of your parents or caregivers, your teachers, your friends, all of the important people, your the advertising, the culture, everything. It, it's mm-hmm. all played a part. And so somewhere along the line, as a result of the relationships you had and the things you came into contact with, you absorbed stuff that says I am X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. The the work I do is about getting to the root cause Mm -hmm. of feelings and beliefs that stand in the way of your self-acceptance. Because basically imagine imagine self-acceptance or happiness or joy, any of those, the things that most of us are after. Imagine them to be like doors, um, doors in your mind, effectively. If there's nothing in front of the door, you can walk through the door at any point and you can access that feeling. But what happens for most of us through our lifetimes is we pile stuff in front of the doors. Yeah. And so the work becomes identifying what's in front of the door and moving it out the way. Because when you are born, all of these things are there. Right. There's, we learn to mask them, to hide them, to change things about ourselves. Um, think about things that, you know, if if I was to say to you, what's what are the things that you never want anyone to know about you, the mm-hmm. worst things you think people could say about you, those would be good places to start digging mm-hmm. because those are parts of yourself that you feel don't want to show don't want to tell people about and you don't want to acknowledge um and so part of self-acceptance is about welcoming those parts home Mm -hmm. and allowing yourself to be all of who you are and building relationships with people who will allow you to show them right and talk about and be okay with these less than parts that you know we we've kind of learned to ignore or pretend or mask or hide or whatever. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. I mean, I've heard one of the examples or meditation or or whatnot was about welcoming all those parts of yourself to the table, right? Kind of visualizing all those those different parts of you, right, to the table. That, like you said, maybe they're the part of you that's you know somebody thinks is loud and you know needs to be quiet, and some one of them's the you know, but. To, kind of, I, I love the idea of the visual of the door with all the stuff in front of it. That's fantastic. It's really easy to kind of get that idea, you know, and then when I've heard about the inviting all the other, your other selves, right? Like 12 of you to the table. I was like, wow, that's, that's definitely something to spend more time on, you know, because you can easily visualize that idea, you know, and then you're kind of like, oh, what are these other facets? Right. And when you start trying to understand that, I think it also uncovers things that maybe you weren't even thinking about, right? About things about yourself that, like you said, either you didn't share or people have maybe criticized about you or you internalized something someone said about you, right? When you're a little kid or you're a teenager or whenever it was that maybe you've been holding on to, you know, that we think is not a good thing, you know, but it's still part of us. Yeah, absolutely. And another place people can look, uh, another place people can look is um, the things that trigger them. Yeah. 
So the things that you judge in other people, the things you're like, oh, oh, she shouldn't have done that. Oh, that. Oh, God, that's ridiculous. You know, all of those kinds of things. Right. Um, those mask things about yourself that you've broken off. Mm-hmm. And or, or that you have learned are so unacceptable that they should never be shown, should never be that way. So, mm-hmm. you know, I often see it with people about different emotions. It's like, oh, they're so melodramatic. It's so unnecessary. Right. What that indicates to me is somewhere in your timeline, someone said, no, squash that. Yeah. No more of that, please. Right behave a particular way that's what's acceptable these emotions in this category these are okay outside of this no too much Mm, Um, that's a that's a good example yeah well yeah and I mean I know another one that uh you know you often hear is you know um it doesn't even have to be a people pleaser but somebody that's you know always needs to have everything just perfect right just so so if somebody else brings it some something to the get-together they're like why did you bring something, you know? And it's like, instead of being gracious and thankful, the person kind of loses it. Right. But it's, there's some element of control that they don't even necessarily realize is happening. Right. Because somewhere someone probably said, you know, things have to be such a way or perfect, but often I think we have these habits or patterns, right? Like maybe overcompensating people pleasing, and we don't realize, well, maybe something's there and maybe we don't have to hold on to this so tightly, you know? Or if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, you know, maybe there's something there. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And sometimes this work is hard for people to do. That's partly why some of the work I do requires us to sort of, you know, go into more of a meditative state, allow the body to relax and the mind to quiet. Because sometimes sometimes your mind just works. It's like, no, get out of here. Everything is designed to keep you out. Right. (laughs) Everything's running perfectly. Don't mess with the system. It makes um, sense. Yeah. So some things sense. will surface and you can get them out yourself. But if you yeah. do find that you're struggling, it's okay because that's kind of how the brain works and there's right. nothing wrong with that. Like yeah. it's the reason habits and patterns stay in place so helpfully a lot of the time, because a lot of the processes that we rely on our brains for yeah. work on the same basis that we can't get in there and unlock and just mess things around. Um so when we are intentional about going looking, it can get frustrating, but please do, if you are listening to this, please do be patient with yourself because right. it, it, it can be a difficult process and the mind isn't always cooperative. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I would love it, Natalie, if you could share with us a little bit about what now does um, for you, what does a, a big happy life look like? Um, you know, what do you, how do you define it? I guess more so. You know, and and what would you what would you say people, you know, yes, doing the work um, to kind of achieve their dreams. But what's what does that look like? What's the, how do we get to this big, happy life so that we're able to tap into what we want to do in the future? I think that's different for different people. I yeah. think we define that. And that's the first element of the big, happy life is you yeah. decide what it is. You free yourself from the rules that society has told you you have to follow. Right. And you decide, you know, like when I started my business, I was gunning for, you know, the big money. And I was like, yeah, you know, this is what a business is. Just keep going. It's all about the money. Yeah. And then I was like, I hate this. Like, I hate it. Right. I want to do meaningful work. I want to love 
all parts of this. I do yes. want to make money and I would like to make a lot of it. Right. But I don't want that to be my focus and I don't yes. want to chase it. Um, so defining your rules mm-hmm. is one of the first parts. Yeah. Um, and I think the second is really defining what are the feelings you want to cultivate in your life? Mm-hmm. Because what I've come to realize is we don't have goals for the sake of the goals. We have the goals for the feelings that they will create in us once we have them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I think about the money, it's freedom yes. and security, really, that I'm seeking. Yeah. Right. And so when I look around my life and the amount of money that I make and that our household brings in, Freedom and security are already available to me. Right. So then it becomes a practice of, okay, tap into those because that is where the joy lies. That's the door. The stuff I put in front of the door that blocks me from feeling Mm -hmm. freedom and all of the things that I want to feel are the things that then we move out of the way. So define what you want. Yeah. Define how you want to feel and the, and the feelings you'd like to cultivate. So when you think about the goals, go past the goal. What will the goal give you? Yes. And then start thinking about, okay, how do I start cultivating that now yeah. straight away? How do I build that into my efforts? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I think about things like, you know, if, if money is one of your goals and you also want freedom, well, then if you are working 20 hour days to make money how free are you right not at all and now also what you're doing is you're building habits that will make it really hard for you when the money is piling up and piling up yeah absolutely for you to have the freedom that you thought you were going to have because now you've built habits around your work that are really difficult mm, yep. so um so all of that kind of works against the big happy life and i would say the other element of the big happy life for particularly women, but I, it is true for men as well. We play so many roles and this mm-hmm. was where big happy life came from for me is if you imagine yourself at the center of kind of a wheel structure and imagine you are attached to all of the people, all of the things, all of the goals, everything that requires your time and energy is attached mm-hmm. to you in some way. If I was to go around and say to all of those things around you, pull now, and they all pull at the same time in different directions, you buckle in the middle, like you break. Mm -hmm. And so the big happy life is about looking at all of the different things that you are attached to that you need your time and energy for and doing two things. Number one, strengthening you at the core so you can withstand all of that pulling. And number two, working with each of the individual areas to do one of two things. To reduce how much it pulls on you in a stressful way. Mm-hmm. So it becomes something you're attached to because it feels good to be attached to it. And then making it, kind of optimizing it so mm-hmm. it adds meaning and fulfillment to your life. Yeah. So almost like it becomes a feedback loop that the thing that does, yes, pull on you also gives you something back. It's part of your joy. It's part of your meaning. It's part of your alignment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when you find things that don't do any of that, just pull on you, then you've got to question, well, what's it doing there? Yeah. 
Mm, so good. I love how you um, kind of explained it. And yeah, it makes so much sense. I mean, I obviously talk about um, from a different perspective, but some very similar things, right? Defining life on your terms and why we should and why we should ask for that, you know, or go after that. And it's for, it's like you said, it's for all different reasons for whatever we're trying to experience, what what we want to, how we want to have joy in our lives. Right. And so I love how you talked about that and, oh, it's, it is, it's so good. And it's so available to people. We just have to be willing to do more of this self-reflection and then getting really clear on what are our priorities for this season. What do we want them to be if they're not matched up? Right. And like you said, do, do the work in the areas that need some work. Um, the other thing I'd say though, you kind of said this, but it's like you said, it's setting boundaries, you know? So when I started back working for myself in the last, or, you know, starting like to figure it out and work for myself in the last two years, I purposely don't schedule usually, uh, at least not weekly, any interviews or or big calls on Mondays and Fridays. They're more flex days for me, right? So I might have a lot of work on one of those days, but it's going to be more quiet work or, uh, you know, content work. Or if I happen to have gotten a lot done that week, then Friday might be, you know, stuff in the morning and then go to the beach in the afternoon, right? <laughs> but nice. it's, it lets me have flexibility so that I can try to design most of my work week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Mondays and Fridays are more stuff that I can fit in. If I needed to, I could push to Saturday morning, right? Or so I just try to have flexibility because that's one of the reasons, right? I think many of us, but for sure us wanted to work for ourselves, right? That's why we wanted flexibility, time and fle- um, time and financial freedom, as you said, you know, so, yeah, so good. Yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. What would be just one last um, bit of encouragement you want to share with the audience before we uh, wrap up and find out how people can connect with you? Let's see, one bit of encouragement. I would say, I'd say we're all the product of our habits, but we are not the end product. That was a quote I read somewhere. And I think it is, it's a nice way. So many of us have these stories about who we are and what we're capable of. But I think when we recognize that those stories are based on our history and our experiences, mm-hmm. and that starting today, if you change something, you will also change how you see yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you change how you see yourself, you change what's possible. Yeah. And you can do it one tiny, tiny, tiny step at a time. And it will add up. So don't try and do everything if you're not ready for everything yet. Just start where you are. Start with what you can do and take one step. And that, if you keep doing it, could change everything. Mm, Absolutely. I love it. Oh, my gosh. So tell us, Natalie, how can people connect with you online and learn more about everything that you're doing and uh, find out about your podcast and everything? Oh, so the podcast is called Big Happy Life. So just on any podcast um, app that you use, you'll find it. Um, and then you can connect with me on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm just my name, Natalie Britt. Um, so you find me like that. And on Instagram, I'm big underscore happy life. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Thank, thank you so much for joining us today, giving us some really uh, great insight, you know, into how can we really design, you know, a life that we love? How can we do some of the work and for the tips on some of the stuff we can do on our own to start maybe uh, discovering what might be holding us back or holding us, you know, 
or keeping us from the life we really want. And so I appreciate it. And I really um, appreciate you sharing your journey and being really open and uh, just really authentic with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I've loved the conversation. Thank you. And thanks again for listening in. And if you enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can check out freebies and resources we have for you at kristenfitch.com. And if you have ideas for the show or guests that you'd like to recommend, I'd love to hear from you. So DM me on Instagram at kristenfitch, or you can email me from the website. Thanks so much. Until next time, have a great week.